not a big enough issue. All right, whatever. I don't care. Uh, close this. Go back to the script. All right, and here we go. All right. So, hey, uh, it's going this pretty is well. Chris it's, Rock uh, here with Bushido Squirrel with your really weekly mock activism uh, wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking again, about coronavirus, nice. like the utter failure that no longer is perpetually twilight. Uh, we had an earthquake, and that was, uh, that was fun. That went viral, uh, a bunch a of folks that I know, this is their first earthquake, and it really freaked them out because there's no, like, warning for it. But just, you know, just How's everything going for you, Bushido? Not that you're not aware of this, but have an escape plan, like have a bag ready to go, know where your medication and your laptop and your cash and everything is, uh, in case a big one does hit, because uh, ostensibly we're you know somewhat due for one of those. Uh, and then in other news, I guess to cover real quickly, the uh, 24-hour protest at Grand Park was finally shut down. Uh, it was the <laughs> same day that the two deputies were attacked in uh, the Compton area, um, shot while sitting in their SUV uh, at 3 a.m. after the, the manhunt was underway in South L.A., uh, sheriff's deputies showed up at Grand Park and gave everyone like 15 minutes to leave and then cleared the entire park out. Uh, a lot of people lost stuff. The park is, excuse me, still yes. um, not fully open and is still being cleaned. Uh, in an interesting twist, uh, Michael Kohlhaas leaked a letter from the downtown bid uh, dated September 10th that actually mentioned specifically clearing Grand Park as one of the things they wanted Mayor Garcetti to do. Um, so, you know, it not hard to see the linkages there between shutting down a protest and kowtowing to developers and their gentrifying interests. Uh, other than that, though, it's been uh, fairly calm on the protest front since then. Um, and it it's we're still waiting for the Breonna Taylor decision to come, like as we record this on Tuesday night. So um, yeah. I'm sure whenever that happens, uh, things are going to escalate again. And it seems like with the preparations that the, the city of St. Louis is making, it seems like it's not going to be a good decision that's coming down, but we'll have to see. Uh, anyways, how are you doing, Chris? How's, uh, how's Colorado? Yep, still rocky, got some mountains. Yeah, nice. yeah. Colorado is doing. It's treating me pretty well here. Um, uh, sadly, I have. <laughs> yes, it is still rocky. It does have plenty of mountains. It's all blowing. It's um, all blowing your way. I, I, you know, I've been out here uh, spending the time hanging out with my parents. Uh, it was my dad's birthday uh, a week and a half ago, so it's been really great to get to reconnect and and, and meet up with them. Um, uh, sadly, the the air quality here has actually not been that much better than what you guys have been dealing with in Los Angeles. We did have a couple of days. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, and on top of that, there's also, there are more fires off to, uh, off to our West in the, in the Hills, uh, that are making things just, you know, it's, we're not really staying much below a hundred on the AQI factor. There was a brief little dip when it, it kind of rained a little bit, but it wasn't even like rain rain. It was just mm -hmm. like a little bit of a sprinkle that, that came through. Um, but, but overall, like my, my biggest issue is that I have like seasonal allergies that 
don't ever really impact me too much in LA, but every single time that I come back to Colorado, when things are still uh, in bloom and or green and there are still flowers and trees or whatever it is that I'm allergic to, still going off like i get here and it just makes me sneeze and sneeze and sneeze and sneeze and i don't understand what it is or how to really deal with it um but i i I can't complain too much you know got to go up into the mountains over the weekend and do some really good hiking um although we found that this trail that we wanted to go on uh they got hit with you know so that that crazy windstorm that caused all of the uh the massive uh, uh, the spreading of that fire up in the port. Yeah, and then area. it like snowed the next um, day, right? That yeah, that wind, really, yeah, the, the, that's, that's uh, not a good that, sign. That was feeding those fires up in Oregon uh, was causing a lot of havoc in California. And that same weather pattern, so this was the Tuesday after Labor Day, that same weather pattern yep. hit in Colorado and spiked the temperatures where they had like a, a 90 something, almost 100 degree day. And then the next day it snowed. Exactly. So, no, and on top of that, uh, it came with some absolutely insane winds. So uh, I think I sent you some pictures of this, but when we were up trying to go through this hiking trail, all these trees had been blown down. And it was yeah. it was all from that that Tuesday where we, the, we had so many named storms this happened, year we ran out of English uh, names. That it just blew all of these trees down uh, across the Rockies. Yeah, well, they, they, so, they only, you know, they only, they only pick, I think, 24 and, uh, names, 24 English real. names in a year. Uh, uh, and then they go to Greek, but that also hasn't happened in a very, very long time. Uh, so beta, that's cool. I guess, or Tropical Storm Beta, I guess, is the one that's now hammering uh, them. So, um, yeah, and on the first presidential debate, there's not any questions <laughs> about climate change. So that's cool. Speaking of things that Once they will be talking about, uh, let's talk about COVID because uh, the U.S. has officially passed 200,000 deaths and California itself it's is insane. getting is... very close to a million infections. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're and for it some seems like times. deaths are not slowing down in the way they were before. So uh, let's get into this. Yeah, so, um, well, as you said, things are very bleak right now. So uh, things seemed less bleak yesterday when I was first pulling all this stuff together, but it's uh, getting worse again. Um, So as of this recording, we're now up to 792,807 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the state of California. That's 57,065 more since we last recorded uh, right about, what was it, two weeks ago now? Um, we've had 4,710 new confirmed cases yes. yesterday. Uh, and then we've had more than 2,163 cases so far today as of this recording. Uh, this sadly puts us at 15,177 deaths in the state so far due to the virus. 54 of them came yesterday and we're already at over 107 deaths so far today due to the virus. And... Moving on to Los Angeles, I apologize. I have to keep clicking between things because I only have one screen to play with this time around. Um, we're up to 262,000 
198 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in LA County as of this recording, 693 yesterday, 697 so far today as of the time of this recording. Yeah. We're also sadly up to 6,401 deaths in the county due to the virus, 14 of them yesterday, 34 more so far today. Um, jumping back really quick to the new cases by day, let's actually go back to California. Um, so nope. you see that it dropped off and then it started to go back up again. I think that this is, we're seeing the same thing here in LA County, um, actually more, more pronounced in LA County than at the state overall. Uh, this seems very likely to be the result of Labor Day shenanigans. Uh, people were not listening to what the mayor had to say and went and did their, their meetups. Uh, and that's not so great. Um, Overall, we do seem to be trending in the right direction. I mean, we've been, you know, all, yeah. all of August. I mean, well, there's also like with all these the colleges right shutting down and probably July, getting ready to absolutely. shut down halfway through the fall um, semester. But things uh, are they're going to be sending a lot of people that are COVID positive home. And like have, none of those testing regimes uh, are working very well. It's, it's nearly impossible to test everyone on a campus that size in an effective way. So like it's going to be real bad. Yeah, I can imagine like this is not going to be the last wave we see. Um, One one thing. Yeah. Yeah, and get get your flu shot. Yeah, we, we no, and we saw. Um, I mean, we're also getting right into the beginning of flu season, which is when people expected a, a resurgence of the virus. Anyway, um, I. Yeah, 100% get your flu shots. Um, I mean, and just, just for anyone watching, I, I, I like, Chris the, is the literally residing like, under when his parents in LA. Insults them, I'm so. never watching the local news, but when I'm here in They're Colorado, sleeping just feet away parents, from what I, actually from what see, I understand. So uh, a lot this more is of the local news. Like they, they are uh, you know, quintessential boomers. They are getting their their daily dosage of yeah. the local news from like NBC or CBS or whichever whichever station it is that they have access to. To be fair, I do have my own. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not insulting them. I am simply stating the fact that they, the way that they uh, consume their uh, their news media is very different from the way that you and I consume our news media. I, I, I'm, I know for 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 instance, I absolutely do not watch like the local LA news uh, unless it's a clip that I see on the internet. Uh, or on yeah. Twitter, because I'm not going to watch that shit with the commercials that they have. Like, and I am fully reinforced and validated in my opinion on this because literally every single commercial break is back to back ads for either Corey Gardner um, or. Yeah, uh, no, my, my mom name? during the. the well, I was going to say my mom during the, the like last few months of her life just watched uh, a lot of him. CNN. And that well, was, was gonna drink the only food. time I heard about um, Bloomberg because it was just yeah, so wall basically, to wall Bloomberg running for president. It was, the same ads every it, single was day. it was pretty so terrible. I feel fully um, justified in not consuming any. There were some Tom Steyer ads um, in there also. Um, but it was it, it, when it really got heated up. It was it was Bloomberg like Bloomberg just bought out all the ad space. Yeah. God, what, there wasn't <laughs> Tom Steyer ads in there. <laughs> yeah. 
Fair enough. Um, my point here was that I got to, I was watching this with my parents while I was helping cook dinner and I, I, I caught that there is a spike, a massive spike at CU Boulder. And I think that they announced it today that they're about to go to um, full distance learning again um, because they realize that they can't handle it. Like it's just, it, it, this is not something that's going away and it's just, they, they literally do not have the capacity. Yeah. Um, but what I was getting at here earlier before we went on a little bit of a, a, a tangent, uh, the intensive care and other hospitalizations that are reported yeah. for LA County are definitely trending in the right direction. But of course, with the recent uptick that we've seen in the last few days coming, hope, uh, you know, theoretically, we, we believe that is coming from the Labor Day exposure. Um, and hopefully it's not going to be surging past that. Uh, we do seem to be going mm -hmm. in the right direction, although, again, flu season eh, is going to be bad. Um, one good thing, though, is that compared to the uh, like when we went into the hard lockdown, or at least as hard as it was in L.A., mm -hmm. uh, we were looking at less than 500 ICU beds available to be dealing with this. And currently in L.A. County, we're at 988 ICU beds, which is uh, basically double. Uh, so that's really good. I, I mean, again, they've done a bunch of things where over the summer yeah. they changed the way that they track these statistics, but you know, uh, whatever, it's a thing that they do. Um, one last thing worth mentioning, mentioning here is that, uh, we are what now, I believe it's 11, two, four, six, eight, ten. We're number 10, 10 in the state when it comes to yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, there's been some discussion cases. up in at uh, least so Kern County about how overweighted some of that is how, with uh, nursing homes and retirement homes up LA there County because, uh, because they are such hotspots so and like Kern County you know, is not Imperial that big. But keep in mind, also California has 54 counties, so you know we're still like pretty we're still pretty far out there when it comes to the other like 44 that aren't on the top 10. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, absolutely. So it, it's it's uh it's bleak, but um. Well, I was going to say uh, before we transition out of that, the, the, the state of California changed the, the guidelines of, for uh, ranking appears to be um, kind of like the COVID color-coded uh, list for counties. Again, um, so now it looks like San Bernardino County is out of the uh, the like worst um, oh, tranche, but LA's still there. And one of the reasons we're still there is our cases per 100,000. So that's one of been one of the really big sticking points is just getting the overall per capita rate of COVID down here. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about Project Room Key, oh. which, uh, <laughs> according to the LA Times at okay. uh, 4.03 today, is in the process of shutting down, uh, which comes to uh, comes as a surprise to the 11,000 people who were promised rooms and never got rooms. So that's cool. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about how this project failed absolutely miserably. I was going to say it right before we recorded. You're fired.
Yeah, it's it's bleak. So uh, as you just mentioned, this was there was an article that was published today in the LA Times, yep. uh, which I'm not going to get a graphic up for because again, operating with one monitor. I apologize, folks. Um, ben Oreskes and Doug Smith. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, I will take my I'll take my sh my shenanigans and run away. Uh, ben Oreskes and Doug Smith were reporting this in the LA Times. The article again that was published just. Uh, you you literally just sent it to me as I was sitting down to start uh, finalizing the, the the package for this. Uh, quote: One hotel emptied its rooms in late August. Another did so last week. A third is winding down this week. It's the beginning of the end for LA County's Project Room Key, the $100 million plus program to repurpose hotels and motels emptied by the coronavirus as safe havens for homeless people. After peaking at over you know, just over 4,300 guests, yeah. about 30% of its ambitious goal, the project will shed several hundred beds. Uh, monthly until it closes down early next year, said Heidi Marston, executive director of LASA. Um, well, and it's it's, so it's yeah, something it, where it, even it, LASA, like at the beginning, kind of like coming to a, a hobbled rather, the program um, by saying that they're only going to look at hotels that had a hundred rooms or it's more. A, it's a and there were a lot of small motels and hotels out there that were like uh, eager to participate, but LASA just decided to not any do of the that. that the um, and seeing as Congress can't get its shit together to pass the COVID relief bill, and uh, like seventy-five percent of the funding comes from the feds, continuing on from for a program that nobody wanted to work in the first place, seemingly they got their wish. Yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and, and on top of that, they had a, a big situation where they, you know, weren't really looking at hotels that weren't going to be able to be bought out entirely well and, and they finally operated exclusively as a project room key well, and, and they finally so got their report back that bonnet asked for about why like people um, weren't participating I mean, it, it's great to and see that we uh, get 4, so people off the streets and into hotel rooms um, but simultaneously we could have done so much more and it was well within the power of the mayor and the city council to do more with what was given to them and they simply refuse to do so. Um, most of this blame falls on the mayor's shoulders, of course. Yes. Oh, we're going to get into that in a minute. Yeah, so we'll get into that in a minute, but uh, finishing up a little bit from that article in the LA Times, quote, the schedule of Project Room Key closing is still tentative, Marson said. The city and county, yeah. which have both negotiated leases, are working with LASA to make the withdrawal orderly. The goal, she said, is to stop accepting new clients six to eight weeks before the close date and start intensive casework to have 50% of the guests out a month in advance. Anyone still in the hotel by the close date will be moved to interim housing. Um, I, before finishing up here with a quote from Sheila, My Sheila Myers from uh, Legal Aid Foundation, the one of the things that came up, um, I think that you probably saw this article, Bushido, uh, was this absolutely terrifying uh, recounting of the experience of an unhoused woman up north near Yosemite uh, who basically had a couple of hours notice uh, and was unceremoniously kicked out of a uh churches like campground facilities with uh where where she had been receiving uh um, yeah. housing and meals for uh some period a, a good period of time before like everything was just the rug was completely pulled out from her and she was forced to go back out and you know sleep in her vehicle again uh which was a massive yeah. stressor and really there's no rationale behind this because 
it's not like those facilities are going to be used well, the, for the goddamn thing. Well, the big news on, else. or like, one of the big things to come out sending uh, today, off kind to of like camp up north, lead to, to some of the, some kind the of correction you know, in the stock market uh, was the fact that fifty percent of hotels say that they're going to be out of business like, in six months. That isn't happening. So, like these hotels so are going to end up in one they way or another. Out of are just um, be sitting vacant. And for the same thing is true with most being an empty, foreclosed, and vacant building doesn't house anyone. Like you know, the obvious thing is just like put people fucking in there so they're housed. Yep. Yeah. And and doing it while the company is still able to operate and still able to bring in their staff to maintain the facilities and provide the food, provide the cleaning the services and yeah. everything else that's associated with running a hotel. Why? Why are like the I fundamentally do not understand how this like we're gonna get to it in a minute, but like the rationale behind organizations and companies like the fucking Biltmore and Omni Hotels just utterly escapes me. I know that like Biltmore and Omni are going to be two of the ones that are not going to be shut down by all this shit, hmm. but yeah. Uh, anyway, before we get into that really quick, the, um, uh, bu -bu -bu -bu, we're going to get a quote here from Shayla Myers from legal aid foundation quote. It does not shock me at all to learn that very few people are moving from project room key into permanent housing. All that does is illustrate the fact that we do not have nearly enough permanent housing available for people. <laughs> Right on the money. Shayla knows what's up. Shayla absolutely knows what the fuck is going on and uh, is not afraid to call it out for what it is when she's talking to the LA mm -hmm. Times. And also Shayla, literally just one of my favorite people on the planet. She's involved in all of the best things. Uh, and she loves to help uh, sue the city, which also makes me very happy. Mm -hmm. um, so going back to uh, just over a week ago on uh, September 14th, Knock.LA received a copy of that memo that you were talking about, Bushido. It was a memo that was generated by the city's chief league, chief legislative analyst, uh, the CLA. That's the acronym that you hear in all of the city council meetings if you're tuning in to watch those with me. Um, but this, this memo was not immediately disclosed to the public over concerns about the quote-unquote privacy of the hotels named within it. Uh, so yeah, basically Marquise Harris-Dawson and Mike Bonin um, – really put their foot down ah. and demanded that this this memo get released. It did seem to be the case that the city published the memo and then immediately broke the link uh, on the clerk's website so you weren't actually able to access it. Everyone who was trying to access the the LA uh, LACity.org um, URL for yep. the PDF was running into this uh, you know page not found error. Uh, at least that was that was what was going on with K-Town for all. So it seems like they, they only published it for like 30 seconds. But we I mean, at least they were upfront about it. Like, it, at least they didn't, PDF you know, try and bullshit to people. Uh, and it was able to be sent around and analyzed by yeah. our uh, editors and writers over at Knock.LA. And Liam wrote up a very tidy little synopsis of what the fuck went down. And so the rationale that some of these hotels used is... I mean, that's uh, that's an optimistic way of looking at this. 
Um, quote, for instance, the W Hotel was, quote-unquote, yep. hosting medical personnel from nearby healthcare facilities and thus unable to participate for fear of infecting frontline workers. Project Roomkey only committed to work with hotels that were otherwise vacant. Yep. While we were able to confirm the W offered a discounted rate to specific healthcare professionals, it also hosted a hugely busy, largely maskless pool party as recently as July 2020. <sighs> Continuing, the Omni was not interested in Project Roomkey either, but they had no reasonable excuse. Instead, they cited, quote-unquote, impact on the brand as the reason to refuse to take in human beings in imminent danger. The Hotel Indigo, Bonaventure, J.W. Marriott, Ritz-Carlton, and the residents in yeah. Courtyard no, I mean, it's, expressed it's, concern about, quote-unquote, you know, it's, it's telling that they, they yanked that report down three minutes after it was published. Like, the they didn't let it live for very long, Tellingly, but also, like, kudos to the people who were watching with the hawk's eye and were able to grab it. Tenancy by um, but participants. It is not difficult to imagine like, that they accidentally said the quote. I guess that's a, that's one of the things that I found so absolutely stupid and frustrating about today's L.A. Times endorsement of David Rue is this is the kind of shit the council pulls like all the time and how you could even <laughs> like how you could, as a journalist endorse anyone who's engaged in that behavior i.e any of the incumbents yep. is just beyond me especially when like you've got a lot of really good reporters working on this issue who talk daily about like how terrible and cruel and stupid this is and the city just like spits in your face as far as transparency goes it's oh yeah 100 percent I don't know. I, I just kind of run out of rope at some point because, like, what else can you say other than, like, fuck you? <laughs> I mean... No, I, I fully agree. I, I I have absolutely no comprehension for what the rationale was behind the editorial board's um, you know endorsement of Rue. Uh, even the even like the paltry claims of actual progress that they're giving him credit for are things that he hasn't really done anything substantive on. Like yeah. the ethics and transparency rules uh, that he is quote unquote championing. It's it's utter bullshit. Like. Uh, talk to Rob Kwan about how effective those the the ban yeah. on developer contributions really has been. Like you look at what David Rue is taking in in terms of contributions to his campaign, and yeah, he's not accepting money from the developer, but he's he's accepting money from the developer's yeah. wife or employee or well, kids we should or, or we, we should mention like all of these whatever. hotels that like, are in the report got public money or like taxes. It's basically like, them, so ineffective. Like they were just randomly well targeted. These anything. were hotels that and yet we've literally and paid say, to oh, have yeah, built and job, keep in business. Pat you on the back um, and, say you, and it's you've earned you know, the right to have a second term. Uh, meanwhile, he ain't doing yeah. shit about anything to relating to Project Rookie. Yeah. And just concluding. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yes. Yeah, it's it's something like a billion dollars in public subsidies since two thousand and five. And and a lot of these are hotels in City Council District fourteen because of course they're hotels in City Council District fourteen because that's where Jose Huizar has been operating for the last uh, almost fifteen years. Like this this is or thirteen years rather. This is absolutely like par for the yep. course is it 15 years i can't keep track of how long he's been in office. he's been in there forever um but the point is like these hotels 
and a lot of the uh, you know the approvals yeah. for the building of these hotels really came as uh, you know in are are tied in with this corruption scandal that Jose Huizar is currently facing indictments over like it, it, it's just absolutely grotesque but um quickly concluding here from liam's piece in not.la which by the way uh, has received a great amount of traction and y'all should absolutely read if you haven't read it yet quote for months activists have called for mayor garcetti uh to use his emergency powers to seize hotel rooms and protect his constituents the response has you know generally i guess hold on i have this i have an idea how exciting i it think sounds. i can solve can this it actually take longer than negotiating so, with hotel owners so like what if we gave days. eric as a publishing like, climate has been 165 days band since the like, launch of project room key dudes with guns and armored cars we have less and like used them to seize hotel rooms like if we gave him like i don't know like ballpark like two billion dollars a year do you think we could make that happen yeah oh no So yeah, it's yeah no, but it's it's amazing that like a city that literally <laughs> has spent untold billions of dollars like brutalizing people out on the streets over the last several months uh, to suddenly claim like there's nothing they can do because like the Omni locked uh, their doors and it's like motherfucker, no, they're not going to seize hotel rooms; they're just going to murder black people. Oh, fuck the LAPD. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean it's if we if we really wanted to fix yeah, if we really wanted to fix this, we could fix this. Like if we really wanted to seize hotel rooms, we could straight up seize hotel rooms. It it, it could very much be done. <laughs> yes, they do. They absolutely do have a tank. Um they have lots of things. They have grenade launchers, they've got helicopters. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. And then on top of that, like, uh, as, as you just mentioned, you know, those reports that are coming out that all these hotels are going to be going out of business. Uh, Ananya Roy from UCLA was just tweeting about this like yesterday, I think, and how this wave of hotel closures um, very much coincides with a massive wave of evictions and in a resulting surge in the homeless population that we know is coming. And when you have suddenly a, a, a an influx of uh, empty buildings and empty rooms that are no longer being used for something, and you have an influx of people who are in need of places to shelter, uh, because uh, they get paid to be bad at this, as we found out today with David Rue, like ultimately problems, what matters is I being beholden to the status quo and taking developer money, not having really good ideas that everyone should act on. That the city um, but you know what? Let's off, before so, we get too bogged down in this, because there's just, just there's not that much more ground to to, to tread on that. Let us so uh, move over real quickly, and we're going to cover this one pretty quick because it's gotten a lot of coverage in the press and has been the subject of. Uh, KCRW reports, KPCC reports, LA Times covered it, like pretty much everyone covered it. Uh, when some uh, really dope folks from Streetwatch LA, Ground Game LA, uh, People City Council, I think there's probably a couple <laughs> others that I'm forgetting in there, really uh, DSA not. LA almost definitely, K-Town for All, uh, showed up to remove some rocks that were illegally placed there by one of the screenwriters of Point Break, which was, full disclosure, the first R-rated movie I ever saw in theaters when my mom like took me when I was like 12 or 13, when a parent could still do that, when they could just buy you the tickets and give them to you and be like, my 12-year-old's going to go see uh, Keanu Reeves shoot people and yeah, um, definitely some Lori Petty yep. topless. 
and they were cool with that. It was the 80s, uh, early 90s. Things were weird. Uh, but anyways, uh, so these rocks were placed uh, sort of under uh, a not really completely truthful GoFundMe that was set up claiming that they're going to paint a mural. Um, member People who were part of the initiative to place the rocks were part of the South Robertson Neighborhood Council, which is not that far from where I currently live. Um, so this is really like my backyard where this happened. Um, and then... Uh, uh, they were kind of stumbled upon by some street watch folks. Um, and then they moved very swiftly to get them pulled. Uh, Herb Wesson said he didn't know anything about Correct. that. It turns out he may yep. not have, but, uh, one of Paul Caretz's uh, field deputies was definitely involved in the discussions. Um, it, the, the rocks were moved and then, uh, they had to be hauled away privately by the guy who, who placed them. So all in all, it finally did work out the right way. It doesn't look like the encampment has been able to move back in there, which I don't totally blame them, but yeah, let's kind of just go over some of the final, finer details after I gave the broad strokes here. Shocked, shocked. I tell you. For sure. So uh, jumping back to this first thing uh, was this tweet from uh, Ground Games, Andrea Moore. Uh, you know, she tweeted about the fact that they, the uh, neighborhood council, members of the neighborhood council had raised uh, apparently $3,600 to install these, ug these very ugly boulders uh, yeah. in the, the underpass, in the overpass area, in much the same way echoing what had happened in San Francisco, where they had tried to install similar boulders along a, uh, a sidewalk that was the site of an, of, of an encampment up there. And it, it received a lot of attention where um, activists literally just pushed the boulders off the sidewalk and let them fall onto the street. And suddenly it was not their problem anymore. Um, but yeah, so Andrea's tweet got, um, uh, what was it? Almost 14,000 retweets and 134,000 likes. So it definitely was going very viral. And then Jamie Loftus wrote this article for Knock.LA uh, and it really broke down the entire saga in excruciating detail about sure. how this all came together. And so this safety and beautification project was really the, uh, the guise under which they did this fundraising to bring in these boulders uh, and literally just creating hostile architecture to to displace folks. Uh, the article starts off with, I'll just read a quick couple of two paragraphs here from Jamie's article. Quote, do you feel safe walking with your loved ones through Cataraugus Tunnel? Asks screenwriter Paul Peter Illiff and South Robertson resident Stephanie Rips, Matthias Baker Masucci, and Mason For Ferrovi. Uh, these are fun names. And it go fund me on July 29th. Mm -hmm. For organizers, it's a rhetorical question. They don't. The page titled Catarangas Tunnel Safety and Beautification Project raised $3,650 from 29 donors by early September with a perfectly vague goal to quote-unquote beautify the tunnel, where an encampment of unhoused Angelinos have been living for years. Their presence is what the group deemed unsafe, and the removal was the implied quote-unquote beautification. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely what was going on here. Um, 
for a dude who basically earned all of his money off of writing a few screenplays like two decades ago and like now doesn't do fucking anything for work he's got a lot of opinions and it's kind of like los angeles it's just it's a very la thing because like you don't find that kind of quick concentrated life like lasting wealth about in other industries or in other cities you know it's pretty hard in new york to write like a broadway play and strike it big and be set for life whereas like if you write a big screenplay well, and you end up with the credit on that, like, yeah, you've got tens of millions does. of dollars in the bank and residuals being paid out for a while. Like you don't really have to do anything. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Correct. So one of the one of the great things I, I wanted to pull this quote here because uh, in his 2017 piece uh, or film, I mean, Trump's we, America, we subsidize oil Ilof companies. Has a character, yeah. We subsidize oil <laughs> yep. companies like a hundred times. Has, what has we, an we have the social safety net every year. Uh, but yeah, whatever. Fuck Frank, it. who it's, is the protagonist yeah. of the film, the people says, dying on the streets the of LA that have it easy. Good job like there, Frank. I live off the kindness of strangers who pay their taxes, so Uncle Sam can give to visionaries like myself. Yeah, see, this is this yeah. is why. I also, I gotta say, quote. like, you know, we in light of do. J.K. Rowling's latest book, it, this is just kind of one of those, you know. Oh yeah, she's been writing. Um, <laughs> God, this is so twisted. But so she's been writing um, mystery novels uh, I, I under mean, a under a male pen name. Yeah. So um, Peter Illich, and uh, in her giant second book, shit. she uh, had a straight but, guy. Yeah, so the the who, no, she had a from... trans character who. Uh, was like psychotic and murdering people, or maybe oh, really? about to murder really people, was like definitely out. harmful. And then in this latest book, the the villain that's being chased <laughs> is um, either a straight man who what? poses a, as a trans woman or a trans woman. I'm not exactly what? sure how it's in the text, but that's a serial killer and uses the whole being trans to access places like women's restroom to assault women um, and attack feminism. I guess. Yeah. So it's it's just one of these where like. Peter and JK are both kind of showing their deep, dark thoughts through their fiction and not doing a good job of hiding it at all, like doing a pretty terrible job of hiding it. Um, but in, in, in a blow for something approaching justice, um, if not justice outright, uh, oh, Mr. Illif was uh, threatened with a felony for dumping the rocks and then was uh, saddled with a $2,200 removal bill. So he scammed 3500 bucks out of people on GoFundMe and spent that on rocks and then had to go into his own pocket by $2,200 oh. to have the rocks privately hauled away uh, less than a week after he placed them. So uh, very, very good job there, Mr. Illif. Like, all in all, I consider that one a karmic win. Well, so we all found yep. out. We all found out on Wednesday, uh, and by we I mean Ground Game, um, uh, via the LA agreed. Times and, uh, that we we're uh, picking a, a fight with this. the city of LA. Uh, um, not just a, like one of a, our regular fights, but like an actual uh, like which lawyers writing letters and and stuff like that kind of fight. <sighs> so uh, of tell this, us about uh, what we're but doing basically, here, Chris. Uh, we might. Yeah. <laughs> 
it helps if you talk to it. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, so let me pull this up and shrink it a little bit. Uh, smaller. There we go. All right. Yeah, so I, 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 it does, it leg legitimately does help that I narrate what it is that I'm doing, um, mainly for our yes. listeners who are not watching. Well, but also, like, it's not just him doing, doing this as, like, some um, but, eccentric, yeah, so, like, traveling judge, you know, <laughs> judge he's not, Carter. like. He's not we, like we've been hearing about Judge Carter like for an umbrella a number and just of being months. like Judge Mary Carter Poppins. Is, this is my court now. Uh, quite a character. The, the courts have been closed. Uh, he like he hasn't had a courtroom that he can to operate in. But deemed what they were doing so important that he was going to listen, and, Eric, commandeer uh, other city facilities to do this. So I think for a bit he was meeting in the Ace Hotel, and then they eventually and, and moved no. him over to uh, <laughs> City Hall now because the first couple of these did not happen at City Hall. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It... <laughs> yeah. Correct. Um, but I just wanted to point out really quick, I didn't realize this earlier. I was looking at the uh, description of the image that's attached to this Headline. The headline, of course, is Civic Group. It says L.A. Council met illegally when federal judge held court in City and, Hall. Well, he's also he's the also description been featured of the image, in a lot of uh, documentaries and TV shows, and he's sort of like uh, the Dion cop that cares Joseph, down on Skid Row. And by cop that cares, they basically like, made a name for he's himself. Still very as law and like order and wants to arrest people, but he he's also been sort of who, a voice of reason, uh, being like, "Hey, I, I can't arrest everyone who's lying down on the sidewalk, not because he doesn't want to arrest them, but just that that's too many people for him to process." and hold um so he's still like in favor of like carceral levels of shelter you know being forced into a shelter um but he's got like a couple of like weird stances against act what are like very stupid laws but like that's the the baseline reasonableness i think we can ask for anyone um and yet this cop they they make it seem like he is you know the the reincarnation of buddha too much paperwork We do do that. Yeah, they really do. Um, but anyway, let's get, let's get into this article. So quoting from the article, uh, Ground Game LA, a group that describes itself as a nonprofit dedicated to increasing civic engagement, contends the meeting... I, uh, this is true. The, yep. the meeting was illegal. Uh, at the status conference, Los Angeles City Council members came forward one by one to brief the judge on the progress of their efforts to create more shelter for homeless people camped near freeways and underpasses. That ground game LA contends in a letter to City Attorney Mike Fuhrer was, in effect, a meeting held without an agenda, notice to the public, or the required opportunity for public comment, uh, because it was. Mike Fuhrer says that it's not a quote-unquote yeah. council meeting, trademark, so the Brown Act does not apply. We, of course, disagree. Uh, continuing a quote from the article, any uh, this is actually from the letter that 
we sent to them. A legislative body, uh, this is quoting, actually quoting the Brown Act directly. A legislative well, so the, body so shall the, not use, quote, yeah, unquote, so the a argument series here, just for anybody who doesn't speak like legally, is that there were enough city council members there, which it was pretty much all of them. It was the vast majority of them. In lieu of formally noticed meeting. Yeah, plus the mayor. Uh, quoting uh, and that the Brown gathering Act, of which them constituted an official meeting of the city the council, and as such, um, they had to include so things like public comment, an actual agenda, uh, a record of communications, like all the meeting. stuff you get with most city council meetings. A serial meeting, what's being referred to in the Brown Act, would be like <laughs> if they got together behind closed doors, not just two of them, was, but like three or like more of them, them, I believe the Brown Act specifically says, and just yeah. like sent emails back and forth and decided what the policy would be, and then took it to the chamber to vote. And... The thinking there is that there has to be a traceable, Correct. transparent line of communications to get to the policy decision. And because of the way that these meetings yeah. are happening and the nature of these negotiations with the judge, the city is effectively setting policy through negotiations of a settlement with the judge that the public has no input in. So whatever policy they come to that allows them to continue yeah. sweeping some encampments while providing housing for some will be effectively the policy that will allow things like 5611 to keep being enforced and the public will have no chance to say, no, we don't want that, or the council to vote it down, though ostensibly I guess they could vote down the settlement, but after negotiating that with the judge, they probably wouldn't do that. So yeah, so our argument here and the argument that like Ground Game is willing to go to court over perhaps is that meetings like this need to be fully open and accountable to public in every single possible way that the Brown Act lays out. And the fact that these meetings have not means that we need to take action to stop them from resulting in policy changes before we have a chance to get our say. And by our, I mean oh, the public. They, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, it's as yeah, a former member a of uh, the downtown LA neighborhood council, my, my brief tenure there of something like eight months or so, I distinctly remember that when you go through your ethics training that's required to participate in any of these elected bodies, it very clearly lays it out. You can't even be in the same fucking room as yeah. more than like, uh, as soon as you establish a quorum of the elected body yeah. in a single room, it is a meeting. It doesn't matter if you're there because of any extra reason. It doesn't matter who the third party is that has convened you. The fact that you're there means that it constitutes a fucking meeting. So I, it's very clear cut in my opinion, but of course I am no, not a is. lawyer and I am not able to dispense any kind of legal you know, arguments on this stuff, but holy shit, come on. Um, concluding from the article, uh, our very own Bill Przlucki, uh, quote unquote, uh, blah, sorry. Quote from the article, although the letter does not identify any specific action, Bill Przlecki, the group's executive director, said he's not actually the executive director of Ground Game, right? Anyway, okay. Uh, said the council members' testimony sent a clear, quote-unquote, vibe that they were discussing policy that could lead to homeless people yeah. being forcibly removed well, it's also, it's from encampments once more shelters We've also been through Bill. several, like, This opens a pathway for them to start doing enforcement and, like, and clearing encampments in exchange It's not like the that people of Los Angeles haven't told the city what they want to do. The city knows very well and has been funded to the tune of a billion dollars on the city level and a billion dollars on the county level to spend on housing. You know, up to 20,000 rooms in total between the city and county if all of them uh, thank built. you very much. Uh, but we know that's not going to happen. 
And so, like, when the city is is saying that they need yeah. a judge oh, to yeah. come in and tell them what to do, when the people of LA have been very effing clear about what they what they should do, is really kind of frustrating. <laughs> and and again, just like why anyone would back yeah. any incumbent yeah. on this body except for maybe Bonin at this point is really just amazingly frustrating. It's it's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, they, they've completely abdicated their responsibility. Completely. Like, they, they are literally saying, we don't know how to do our job. We need a judge, a federal judge, to come in and tell us what to do. And then we are going to be able to... It's basically they have no fucking spine. So they want to be able to go back to their constituents who say, we don't like the things that you're like the, the rich and annoying constituents that actually contribute to their campaigns in a, in a truly meaningful way. Yeah. Historically speaking, I mean, this what we're seeing for the Nithia campaign is completely groundbreaking and totally different. But when you look at the way that campaigns have been financed in the past, it is normally rich and very involved NIMBY ass people that do not want to be seeing homeless people as their unhoused brothers and sisters, but instead as a problem to be swept away and dealt with someplace else, specifically in my neighborhood in downtown. They just want to push everything to skid row and encapsulate the problem and control it yep. and contain it within that 50 square block radius. So this is a way that they are able to then go back to their donors and their constituents and the bids and all that fucking bullshit and say, my hands are tied. I can't do anything about this. The judge has literally issued a law that forces me to do this. It's yeah, very much the same thing bad. with like the Boise yeah. decision, right? All right, so Where let's, they were able to look uh, let's back move on and say, to our oh, last thing that's going this on. Uh, Bonin finally of got said that. We sorry, must follow this, this rule because of this yeah, bullshit that Boise had done, and now our hands are tied. So let's go find a way to appeal that to the Supreme Court. But anyways, so the vacancy tax report, which I believe was released earlier this year by Sage and then withdrawn, and I believe this is the re-release after they went and touched <sighs> up their data, which, from what I can tell, is not all that off from what they not first the released. So I feel the like there was a little bit of a <laughs> tempest in a teacup there um, over some sourcing <laughs> of the, the reporting in the original yeah. report. Um, but yeah, let's let's dig into this. It's pretty dense. It's, like I said, coming from Sage. It's coming from the Anti-Eviction Mapping Project. And then it's yes. coming from Jacob Wucher, uh, a frequent knock contributor and a UCLA law student and a just, uh, you know, all-out, uh, tenants' rights activists just kind of like ripping up Twitter. Um, so what did they find? Yes. Oh, sorry, I, I missed that. There was a there was a page break, uh, Zachary. My apologies. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Hell yeah, yes. <laughs> Also, let's actually list all four of the authors. It's Alexander Ferrer from Sage. No, no, no. <laughs> so uh, Alexander Ferrer from Sage. Uh, Tara uh, Graziani from Anti-Eviction Mapping Project. Jake Butcher, of course, from UCLA Community uh, Economic Development Law Clinic and uh, LATU. Uh, and Zachary Frederick from the same uh, you know, UCLA uh, clinic, law clinic yep. as Butcher. Um, We'll go ahead and quote a little bit here from the forward. 
Um, because of the unprecedented housing crisis in Los Angeles, few people would be surprised by this report. Our housing systems fail to house tens of thousands of the city's residents and leaves hundreds of thousands more struggling under astronomical rents. But for some, the housing market is working exactly as they would prefer delivering unprecedented profits to a privileged class of investors was, who have I, bet, bent the yeah, housing I think, market sorry, to on their that last interest. note, there was a graphic I saw, and I think it was from this report, but I might be wrong. Um, few, but it said that uh, over the last five years, the return on investment so, for real estate um, has been like 13% versus of, historically uh, about 3%. Of the statistics um, and graphics and maybe it's not this one. Yeah, it might be in a different infographic that's been floating around Twitter. Go for it. We live in an age of too much noise and information, folks. In case, in case you're just hearing that, um, but yeah, no, it was it was something that that at least drove home for me why it is we've you know we've entered into a new kind of market where like at some point a difference in quantity becomes a difference in, in quality. You know, and when you're talking about pulling down a 13% return versus a 3% return, just the amount of time it takes to like double your money there is is night and day. And I'm gonna pull out a calculator because I'm really bad at this. Thanks for breaking that news. So if we divide 72 by 13, we get 5.5 years. So it takes five and a half years to double your money if you're earning 13% a year versus uh, 3%, you're talking about 24 years. Like, there's a reason that like <laughs> REITs and other ridiculous and like uh, real estate ETFs and other ridiculously stupid like um, investment vehicles are booming at the moment and are flush with cash and why people are pouring into these like luxury community, luxury like condo buildings. And we've seen that market crash before, like less than a decade ago or about a decade ago. You know, it's True. well and with like global warming more acute, you know, if you're buying condos in Miami, um, stop doing that. It's a terrible use of your money. Yeah, but so let's uh, let's swing it back to yeah, let's swing it back to this coast before yep. I go off on Miami's to be we're um, probably see Atlantic it crash again. nature. It absolutely is. There's literally, literally no way that those condos are going to last more than thirty or forty years tops. Uh, probably more than twenty. Yes. Fair enough. So uh, one, a couple yeah. of key statistics here. There are more than 93,500 housing units that were vacant in Los Angeles in 2017. More than 46,400 non-market vacant units are being used as vacation homes or investments or are otherwise being held off market rather than housing people. About 36,300 residents are unhoused in the city of Los Angeles as of those statistics. So this is, you know, this is definitely has not been updated. Um, it, it's much worse. Um, even even the statistics that we have from the last homeless count are way lower than what is actually on the streets right now. So uh, a bit of an interesting thing here was looking at the vacancy rate by census tract, which is one of the things that they were uh, highlighting in this report. Uh, you can really see like the the smattering of vacancies around, uh, and then they they tie it in also here with the uh, houselessness by census tract, and so you can see a little bit of the overlap here, uh, specifically this portion of uh, East LA um, and the the area going over toward Boyle Heights, uh, where the the mm -hmm. number of unhoused people. Uh, 
living in a census tract is, is very high, uh, which also coincides with a fairly high vacancy rate. One of the other key factors that was that's mentioned in the report is that our um, the vacancy yep. rate relative to the monthly um, uh, lease value um, has, a, has a direct correlation. I'll get to that graph in a moment. Um, but a couple of other quick things here about who it is that actually owns uh, properties within the city of LA. Almost 67% of all residential units are directly owned by investment vehicles in LA, uh, according to the county assessor's entries for the property owner's name. 76.6% of all privately owned vacant lot area in the city is also owned by investment vehicles. 49% of all vacant yep. land in the city is owned by investment vehicles. Then, uh, what is it, 613,500, sorry, 613,513,000 square feet of vacant lots, the equivalent of 10,651 football fields, or 22 square miles, are owned by investment vehicles in Los Angeles, accounting for over 4% of the entire city's land area. Holy shit. Um, a little bit of stuff going on here. Uh, this one I, I really liked, because this is the... the the vacancy rate is is uh, designated by these increasing dot sizes, yep. and they're overlaid on top of the census tracts, uh, corresponding with the corporate ownership rate. And so, when you're looking at who owns these big tracts of uh, of real estate and the big tracts of apartments, the vacancy rate t tends to be pretty high in the areas where the corporate ownership is yep. also pretty high, which really this takes me back to, um, I'm trying to remember, was it Krikorian? I think it was Krikorian, who, like, you could not get it through well, and, his and, thick fucking yeah. skull that well, and, investors and thing that ties actually into this, that's buy also mentioned this property is that the vast majority of empty lots in the city are owned by vacant. investment vehicles. And like, claim that we it has be building on a higher lots, rentable value that it that actually rented out to people and take a years, loss the land will the just rental income. Be worth and that by taking money, income, they sell it to someone it who wants to develop luxury, and they're going to be looking for top dollar on it. could not get his brain around that. And again, this is something where, like, you know, uh, eminent domain could be used by the city, the county, or the state to like seize yep. that land for a price. Oh, obviously, like you still get paid out fair value for like even when the state seizes your your property under eminent domain, but then be turned into affordable housing, be turned into social housing. Like there are a lot of ways to fix that, which the city could straight do. You know, they're yep. they're looking at expanding the 605, and they're going to demolish homes in order to expand the 605. So they'll break down a you know they'll. Well, but the, that's oh, yeah. still the state. Like the state of California will knock down homes in communities of color to build a freeway. They won't build up an empty lot in Westwood to put up like social housing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just leave the houses. Well, that's Caltrans, but yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah for, absolutely. For like 30 years. Like it's... It's been sitting there for like 30, 40 years. And like Caltrans refuses to sell it out of spite. Like it's just a stupid bureaucratic you, you squabble. You also see the same and thing. Like the, the relics of that, even when they decided so to stop What, is, what do the authors of the report recommend that we can do? All of those properties that they, yeah, they just sit there. They're boarded up and it just says no trespassing. It's like, this is a perfectly good house. It's just sitting there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It absolutely is. So, 
before we get to that, I really want to, just wanted to point out this little this little chart that I've got up on the screen right now, which is the vacancy rate by rent. Yeah. Where literally there is like a one-to-one tracking of the higher the rent, the higher the vacancy. So when everyone was talking about this overproduction of uh, luxury units, like I remember lots who a year or two ago um, when SB50 was first being introduced. So that, was, that would have been two years ago, right? I forget. I, everything is blurring together at this point. I apologize. Um, but when SB50 was coming out and Scott Wiener was going on and on and on about you know how he was going to fix the housing problems in Los Angeles by allowing us to build, 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 baby. Um, folks up with the, you know all those little avocado emojis on Twitter, uh, they were all talking about how you know just allowing the the corporate developers to come in and develop the properties and put more housing in, eventually there has to be trickle down. And we literally just don't see that happening. When corporations come in and they own and develop these properties and they put up this luxury housing, which increases their asset portfolio, they don't give a fuck about whether or not they're actually renting them. I mean, they do to a small degree, but when it comes to their long-term profitability, what they care about is the perceived value of those assets. Yeah. And that directly like shows up in graphs like this, where you see a pretty much one-to-one -one correlation where the higher the rent is, the higher the vacancy is. Because they've literally just overproduced luxury housing in the city to the point where it's no longer, like there, there's just not the population with the disposable income to spend on these luxury units. It's just absolutely out of this world. Um, there's also a very direct correlation between Ellis Act uh, and vacancy, um, but we're not gonna get into that right now. Um, let's just go through those key findings, as you mentioned earlier. The One of the key findings was, of course, that thousands of units are being held off market in the city of LA and the county of LA um, that were building homes, but only for the rich. Property in Los Angeles is increasingly financialized with nearly two thirds of all residential units in the city directly owned by investment uh, entities, which is fucking wild. Uh, that speculation removes thousands of units every year from the market. We're not building nearly enough mm -hmm. affordable housing and that cities across North America are turning to vacancy taxes to combat speculation and generate revenue for affordable housing. Of course, the, the most popular and well-known of these being Vancouver. Uh, they also clearly state that vacancy tax can be done here, uh, that there are complementary policies that are also needed, and that Los Angeles 100% needs to have better public data on vacancy. We just do not have it. Uh, some of those recommended policies that they argue that we should be implementing in addition to a vacancy taxes, well, of course, first and foremost, a citywide vacancy tax that's not just on vacant homes, both rented and owned, uh, because, you know, if it's a vacation, second, third, whatever home, like it still counts as being fucking vacant, uh, but also on commercial mm. properties and under, under undeveloped lots that are zoned for housing and have had rental housing on site in previous 10 years. They're also recommending the use of DWP data uh, following the model of other cities to establish vacancy and that the penalty apply, uh, the vacancy penalty apply to any property that's vacant for more than 90 days in a year, which is yeah, great. Um, yeah, they're also the, recommending the municipal disclosure requirements to make them, it clear who or investment it is that, that owns that's actually based down in here Angeles, in Southern California. As of right now, I can't remember any of the easily the able to hide stuff yeah, behind trusts, within companies, LLCs, and like whatever it is that you want to use as an investment vehicle to hide who the fuck it is that owns all these properties. They don't remember you did a bunch of digging into this when they sit on them and they wait for another investment vehicle to come along that sees more growth opportunity in the area, and then they they sell it 
for slightly more than they yep. bought it from and churn that profit. Yep. Meanwhile, keeping housing out of neighborhoods and inaccessible to the people Don't who need to live it. there. And it's, you know, we just seen that story come out of Atlanta where developers were conspiring with Atlanta police to get um, black members of a community slapped with felonies so that it would cost them their Section 8 housing vouchers so that they could be evicted. And then those units could be demolished and yep. turned into market rate and luxury housing. Yep. Like the the connections here between the police state and gentrification are very direct and that's exactly what we're seeing in downtown that's exactly what we're seeing with the bids that's exactly what we're seeing with the aggressive use of LAPD that's exactly what we're seeing with the the focus on mm -hmm. trying and failing to build affordable Correct. and permanent supportive housing around Skid Row but that quickly becoming some of the most expensive housing in the effing world like the path housing is Jesus, like $600,000 a unit and still isn't open yet and you're just it, it, it is all lining up to just, like, have a lot of people living in yep. tents by the time January rolls around and for that number to just be accelerating. And we don't even have enough prison space to put everyone. Like, the, that's the other thing yep. that is really kind of confusing here when we talk about, like, these solutions to homelessness is the state prisons and the county jails are all over capacity. Like, where – where are we going to put these 100,000 Angelinos who just don't have a roof over their head and their only crime is being poor? Yeah. A couple of other quick uh, complementary policy uh, recommendations is from this report is that uh, having public access to accurate data on vacancy so communities and policymakers can work uh, to make a housing system that actually houses mm -hmm. people. Shock. Oh, my God. Who would have ever thought of that idea? Um, another one is a prohibition on condominium conversions and demolitions of rent-stabilized units until appropriate vacancy monitoring procedures are in place, of course. Um, also recommending a flipping tax to deter speculative behavior in which buyers sell buildings for profit rather than using them to actually house people. And that, I think, that would be huge to have in Los Angeles. Um, along with a real estate transfer tax to limit speculation and make the tax system less regressive. Uh, an out-of-state transaction tax targeting the deep-pocketed mm -hmm. corporate entities that extract value from Los Angeles. Again, that also would have to be paired with an actual registry of who the fuck it is that owns these things and disclosure rules so that we actually know that it is, in fact, an out-of-state holding company that is doing these transactions. Um, and an increase in gross receipts tax to ensure that the largest corporate landlords pay their fair yeah. share for their role in the housing crisis because they're going to claim that they're uh, you know free of any liabilities on this. And, of course, other means to, to use vacant housing to house the unhoused, recognize the gravity of the current crisis and the need for action. So they leave it open to say, like, these Except are not for, like, 90% of the units built in his district have been uh, market rate units since he took office, but, you know. To implementing an actual vacancy tax. So it'll be really interesting okay, to see, though, like, he's, he's you know, stealing what all happens with that ideas. Uh, proposal that And uh, we'd, we'd tell you to vote for Nithia, the woman with the ideas. And that Rue is claiming all this credit for in his attempt to vote for the guy who's going to do those ideas. Is progressive. Worse. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a terrible editorial. Like, yeah. Okay. I mean, so I think the part at the end kinda... where they're like, Nithia's plans uh, weren't popular before they're now popular. And you're like, and that's a bad thing. Like, she was ahead of the curve. She, she predicted the way that these crises were going to trend and gave reasonable solutions. Holy shit, man. Keep her out of power at all. Yeah, go ahead and costs. fuck yourselves, LA Times editorial board. Uh, that was some bullshit.
also like you know well, the whole it's, it's... she was executive director of Times Up Hollywood and like he's a sexual predator like that whole you know allegedly uh thing um didn't yeah, get discussed at I mean, all on top of that, they're also saying the whole like they didn't the council should David adopt her policies, but let's like, go ahead and reelect and unconscious the fucker that woman. hasn't been able to implement um, any yeah, meaningful no, we'll changes. Just, uh, we'll pretend uh, that, that didn't happen because the DA decided not to press charges because our DA's office is the worst DA's office in the world in the entire fucking world. So we've kind of gotten off topic here on the vacancy tax. So uh, to round that out, uh, a vacancy tax would uh, be really good and would raise us money and would force landlords to rent their places rather than just sit on them. Um, because they're fundamentally greedy. Yeah. So if we can even pass like a 1% tax, they will most likely start renting out their units just so they're not taking a loss on the books every year, letting them sit empty. Yep. <sighs> yes. I mean, that's that's literally what they did in Vancouver, and it absolutely yep. worked. I mean, it doesn't. It's not like a huge revenue generator when it comes to uh, actually cre creating the tax revenue that's necessary to support uh, building the affordable housing and permanent supportive housing that's necessary to, and, and the you know, social housing. But it does create an incentive that actually takes existing housing stock and puts it back onto the market and and, and expands the the housing stock that's available yeah. for people to actually so, uh, live. Yeah, let's so, uh... like. Yeah, let's uh, let's move on to pickups. There's a Absolutely. few things going on this week. Uh, ground game meeting on Thursday. Definitely, if you want, show up for that. Uh, we've got some really really cool stuff but going. Man, it's obviously a big turn like, for the election. Um, yeah, what else do we have on the, uh, on the agenda? And that Nuri was canceling all of the goddamn meetings since March. It's it's brutal, and that's how we end up where we're at. <laughs> yep. Also, I was live tweeting this morning, and I'm going to be live tweeting again tomorrow. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, I'm sure I will have finished live tweeting, but I do it every Tuesday and Wednesday for city council meetings. Uh, you can follow along in at knock.la. Uh, of course, we do have our weekly Wednesday Jackie Lacey Must Go protest that is uh, hosted by Black Lives Matter Los Angeles. Um, I'm not sure what the focus is going to be this week, but it's, uh, we're, you know, I think we're aiming for like October first ish. So uh, very uh, around that, we're definitely going to have it to you before uh, your mail election cycle. Yeah, it should be here. It should be folks here soon. Are actually starting to pay some serious attention to what's going on in their local races, um, and there's more and more interest in, uh, in 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 things coming out, like our our knock voter guide that's going to be released here, I believe, next week. Uh, So Thursday, Friday. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be great. Um, I know we both have some articles that are going to be a part of that. Uh, so everyone can look forward to reading more of the things that we have to say. Um, of course, you can volunteer for the <laughs> Ground Game Endorsed Candidates, uh, and you should volunteer for the Ground Game Endorsed Candidates. Nithia for the city.com slash sign up to go volunteer for Nithya Raman. Fatima for assembly.com to volunteer for Fatima Zikbalair. And Godfrey for assembly.com to go volunteer for Godfrey Santos Plata because we need to elect all of them. Uh, you know, it, it, this is huge. This is absolutely huge. And uh, turn up for. Uh, the Measure J 
uh, yep. phone banking that's going on. I know that Justice LA is doing a, a weekly phone bank on Wednesdays for that. If you're interested in, in supporting, um, you know, actually dedicating uh, an additional 10% of the county's budget to invest in our communities and take that money and, and spend it in ways that are much better for the people of Los Angeles County than spending it on the cops. Uh, go support Measure J. Reach out to White People for Black Lives. Mm -hmm. uh, I know for a fact that they are helping to host those uh, weekly phone banking sessions. Mm -hmm. um, they've called, I know, more than 25,000 people so far. Uh, and they're going to continue to be doing this. And they're getting a great response rate from folks uh, in terms of support for Measure J. But we need more volunteers. Uh, of course, if you do have money to kick into that, go ahead and support all of these candidates as well as Measure J. Um, yeah. Because we know that the police... And they're really uh, the only... I mean, they're unions, they're partnering with uh, the, um, the law big enforcement grocery stores uh, who are interested in are, uh, people you know, who shoplift being convicted of felonies are, and also having their DNA entered into a state database and a whole bunch of other really terrible year. panoptic um, stuff and that's really just meant to serve capital when people are, you know, on the verge of an economic collapse during a pandemic and will probably need cheaper access to food so all in all it's just uh prop uh 20 Ooh, prop 22 yeah prop 22 is the uh yeah that's the uber and lyft one prop 20 is the the cop one uh with money from safeway and and kroger and all that stuff so yeah those are those are both bad which which proposition is that one 20. Okay. Yeah. So I, I mentioned prop 22, which my, my mistake, that's the, uh, Uber, the Uber. <laughs> yeah. We'll do that this weekend. <laughs> no to both. <laughs> uh, yep. All right. Well, uh, as always, um, uh, first of all, thank you for listening. This has been a long one. Um, and we've still got so much to go through and we're not going to have time. Oh my God. We need to talk about the sheriff. We'll do that this weekend. Absolutely. So as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in publicizing or just being made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page. You can hit us on social media, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, uh, all of the things. We're at Ground Game LA. You can also yep. find us at at Knock.LA. Uh, this podcast and every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock.LA. You can support our work yeah. over on Patreon at Patreon. Yeah, well, anyways, everyone is having a safe rest of the Check week. Check the we'll description you, uh, uh, this of this podcast for sources, links to the actions, and social media. Yeah.